So the scripture reading today will be from Romans chapter 8, verse 31 to 39. If you do not have a Bible with you, raise your hand and our usher will gladly bring you one. And you may keep it for your own reading throughout the week. And if you have our church Bible, it's on page 888. So again, the scripture reading today will be from Romans 8, verse 31 to 39. Here what the Holy Scripture says. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him for us all, how would he not with, also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us all. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray again. Father, what a glorious day it is to come together to worship you. After celebrating the Good Friday just two days ago, after hearing your last words on the cross, and Father, on the third day, your word says you have risen, and you have risen indeed. And Lord, the resurrection is the foundation of hope for all believers in which we build upon our lives. So Lord, help us. Help us this day by the power of your Holy Spirit to see the wondrous truth and what you have accomplished when you walked out of that tomb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if I show you a swoosh mark, what do you think of? Yeah, I heard some of you guys say Nike, which is the right answer. The simple swoosh symbol has become one of the most recognized icons in the whole world. But did you know the logo was designed by a University of Portland student, Carolyn Davidson, and the founder of Nike paid her a handsome amount of $35 for it. So for you graphic designers, I applaud you here. But now, Nike is truly a global empire with multiple stars from different sports representing the brand, and uh, the greatest among them all, the GOAT, Michael Jordan. But as brilliant as the logo goes, 
I believe the success of Nike is found in, in its core message that has been ingrained in our mind. Just do it. You have the speed. You have the strength. You got athleticism. You are a winner. You are a victor if you buy our product. <laughs> but just do it. So this is in sharp contrast to another symbol that's if not more, but at least equally recognizable as a swoosh. That is the cross. Yet, the cross is a symbol of torture. It's an instrument of torture. It's a symbol of shame. It strips away not only life, but also all the dignity and value of a man. Cursed is the one hung on a tree. Even a scripture affirms that. But yet, on the cross, the shamed one is glorified. The cursed and worthless loser became the conqueror over sin, over death, over Satan, and the power of this world. So last week, in our first part of this mini-series in our Easter, Femi taught us that Jesus' victory over death and sin is the substance of our faith. It is the hope, it's the hope for us, for all the believers. And that he has brought us victory over death and sin. And today, the message will focus on the new identity that we have in Jesus Christ as a conqueror over Satan and the power of the world through the love of Christ. And the sermon will focus on just one verse in Romans 8, verse 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But we will go through, uh, explore other parts of the Bible to develop this theme of Christ the conqueror over Satan and the power of the world and how that was imparted to us as our identity through our union with Christ. So first, let us acknowledge the, the reality of being a Christian in this world. And that is our first point in the message today. The reality of being a Christian is that we will surely face persecution and trials from the world. So verse 37 begins with this, no, in all these things. So what do all these things refer, refer to? So when you read phrases like such as, you know, in all these things, the first thing you should do is to go to the verse prior to see if we're given any hints. And that's verse 36, which writes, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So in this verse, Paul is speaking on the reality of persecution and suffering among God's people since the Old Testament time. So it's kind of like getting, you know, before you get married, people will constantly tell you, hey, it won't be all rosy and sweet in marriage. There will be conflict and strife. Likewise, Christians shouldn't be caught off guard by the reality of suffering and persecution when we came to our faith. It was never promised to us that when we became a Christian, life would be smooth sailing from that on. 
in fact, we should expect persecutions and suffering because of our faith in Jesus Christ. So verse 36 is a quotation of Psalm 44, verse 22. But there is one key difference between the original text in Psalm 44 and how Paul uses it in our context here. So in Psalm 44, the psalmist expressed his agony in midst of the suffering. And he is perplexed and confused to why God would abandon them, that he felt like a sheep ready to be slaughtered by his enemies. But Paul, on the other hand, having seen the resurrection of Lord Jesus Christ, he did not voice him out as a voice of agony or confusion, but as a firm statement that in light of that, we are more than conquerors. That he can declare in the face of hostility that we are more than conquerors. And furthermore, in verse 35, he also asks the question, so who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, none of these things can separate us from the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, they are what makes us the conqueror. But more on that later. The point right now is this. Christians must expect suffering and persecution in this present age. And I know that's not much of the case here in North America. And I don't like to, you know, I don't typically like to have the victim mentality that perceives everything as persecution. But that is the truth to many believers in other parts of the world, just as it has been true to generations of Christians in history. You see, the prosperity, the prosperity and the peace that most of us experience today is not a norm for Christians. In, uh, in fact, I think it may even harm our faith if we do not view them properly. The allure of prosperity and peace can lead us into become self-dependent and even self-absorbed, especially when we are rarely challenged by external circumstances. So I read an interesting study. Uh, it's called Comforting, A Comfort Crisis. It says this, uh, our brain adapts to changes by uh, forming relative comparisons, and, and we are very good at it. So when new measures of comfort and convenience are introduced to our lives, you know, we quickly become adapt to it, and we are really never satisfied by the new norm. Instead, you know, we just crave for more newer comfort measures, and then we lower the threshold of what we count as discomfort. So the result of that is this, when we are you know, when we face the littlest setback in our lives, we become extremely frustrated and upset. So that's what happens when we're spoiled with the riches of the world and we do not even consider ourselves to be rich anymore. So I'll be clear, there's nothing wrong with prosperity and peace intrinsically. In fact, it's our Christian duty to pursue that for our family and for the society at large. But as we obtain more wealth and security than any other previous generations combined, we must guard our hearts that we do not make them an idol 
I'm pursuing them at all costs. Or worse, practicing our faith as a means of a, of a, to obtain them. We must prepare ourselves to lose the prosperity and the riches that we own one day, if the Lord wills. He can take away our wealth, He can take away our health, even He can take away loved ones. So is your faith contingent, contingent on those blessings that God has given you? And would you still bless God when He takes all you have away? For many of us, we simply wouldn't know, you know, because we haven't lost much. But for some of you here, you have experienced sufferings. You have experienced unexpected death in your family. You have experienced unknown and untreatable health conditions that torment your physical body or your mind. You have wayward children that whose hearts are so hardened towards God and the gospel, despite of your best effort in raising them in the fear of the Lord. But you have prevailed it all, and you have stood firm in your faith to God by the grace of God. But for the many of us here, you know, in our 20s and 30s, you know, we haven't experienced the worst that life can brought to us. So we need to prepare ourselves for suffering one day. You know, tragedy can come to anyone. And we must not assume that the trajectory of our lives to always be upward. As Christians are falling out of favor with mainstream cultures, um, you know, we do not know how long until we have to, and when we have to face real hostilities directly at a personal cost. I'm not a prophet, and I do not know when that will be or what kind of prosecution it will, it will look like. But I do know that from the scripture, that following Jesus Christ will require us to forsake our lives for the witness of the gospel when that time comes. So for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And on that day, we must declare with confidence from Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. In addition to persecutions and trials, what else should we expect to face in this present age? I believe the two verses afterwards, after 37, also give us many elements that will, threat, uh, that will threaten to tear us away from the love of God. Romans 8, verse 38 and 39 writes, neither, life, neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to, to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are many elements here in these two verses. You know, Paul's escalating the challenge to Christians, you know, from the physical ones in verse 35 to a higher hierarchy of, you know, supernatural powers. Those that exist now or will come, those are unseen from our eyes, from high and from below, and accumulates in the inclusive phrase, anything 
in all creation. But the two elements here I want to emphasize are angels and rulers. Both words are often used in the New Testament referring to the unseen divine things or beings and their power. So they operate in a way that are mysterious to our naked eyes, but yet the scripture speaks of this reality of a cosmic battle that's taking place in our days. If you turn to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, Paul writes this, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the evil forces in the heavenly places. So the challenges that we Christians face today are not merely physical forces through tribulations and persecutions, but there's a greater, unseen, a greater battle unseen to our eyes, and which is with devil and his power in this world. C.S. Lewis writes this in his group day letters. There are two equal and opposite errors into which our race, meaning human, can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves, meaning the devils, are equally pleased with both errors and they hail a materialistic or a magician with the same delight. So in, developing, in some developing countries or you know, to, in my limited knowledge, in the New Age belief, people see spirit everywhere, and they interpret everything as an act of the spirit. On the other hand, in a materialistic world, we mock the idea of spirit altogether, because we rationalize everything as we are so dependent on our own intellectual ability and our own willpower. So the wise believers, on the other hand, recognize the threats around them. They expect sufferings to be a reality for many, including themselves. And they understand that remaining faithful in the gospel will eventually bring out hostilities to themselves and to their family at a heavy cost. They are aware that there may come temptations and spiritual battles in such great intensities that they can only resist by the spiritual weapons such as prayer and the Bible. And their power comes from the Holy Spirit with the mutual aid of believers in the local church. Wise believers are ready to face all these trials and challenges because they are assured of their identity, that they are conquerors, or more precisely, they are more than conquerors. And that's my point to you today. The identity of all Christians is this, that we are more than conquerors. So the phrase more than conquerors in verse 37 is actually just one word in Greek. It's literally translated as hyper Nike. Those who are familiar with the brand Nike will know this, that the word Nike is actually the name of a Greek goddess of victory, Nike. So the apostle is calling all the believers hyper Nikeo, that we are 
super victors. We're more than just victors and winners, but we are so much more than that. That's why ESV translated as we are more than conquerors. So in the face of suffering and persecutions and attacks from the devil and his power and his temptations within, Christians are not just merely getting by. You know, we're not grim stoic and respond to every trial by shutting down our emotions to resist, to stand firm. But that we are conquerors. We are more than conquerors over all these trials and tribulations. And I would, you know, so I was walking the neighborhood the other day. I noticed some dried up leaves somehow still hanging on the tree from last year. And, you know, with the wind blowing to and fro, they look like Bob, they're, they're about to fall at any moment. You know, Christians, does that feel like your faith sometimes? You know, we have grown weary in our faith. You know, there seems to be so little victories over sin. You know, relationships with our loved ones are still as broken as before. People we have grown close to, you know, we love and we respect just left us. And areas of life that were supposed to be a refuge and a safe place seems to be full of conflicts and strife. And the most frustrating thing is, all these things are taking place even without any substantial suffering or persecutions from ex external circumstances. And yet, the scripture says, we are more than conquerors. Not that we will be conquerors one day in the end. I mean, that would make more sense, right? You know, in light of our present state of faith at times, you know, we will be more than, we will be more than conquerors. But no, the scripture says we are. Right now, we are more than conquerors. That is our identity. So what do we do with the discrepancy of our current state of faith? You know, what does more than conquerors even mean? So you probably have heard of the saying, what doesn't kill you only make you stronger. You know, it sounds very cheesy. But in a sense, that's, the ki that's kind of what it means to be more than conquerors. So what Paul is saying here is not only do these hardship and forces that he mentioned not going to hurt us, but also they are going to be a cause for our spiritual maturity and growth. So a conqueror is a person who defeats the enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror causes the enemy to become our helper. So persevering through suffering and trials by the grace of God help us to respond to future challenges with greater faith and hope. And that's how we become more than a conqueror. So it is as we learned last year in our uh, series on lamentation. So when tragedy hits us, we learn to run to God and cry out to him with all of our hearts. And trials and tribulations is an opportunity that leads us to reflect upon our sins and our idols. And they point us to the only hope that we can cling on to, that is God himself. So we affirm the truth of God to ourselves and we wait patiently with hope and joy for God to deliver us from the valley of shadow of death. 
So we don't simply get through the trial at the end, but we grow in our faith along with, along with the security, peace, and even joy in the promise of God through every season of life. And that promise is this in Romans 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And this echoes Joseph's word when he was betrayed and sold to Egypt as a slave. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So the world says what doesn't kill you only makes you stronger. But as Christians, even what could kill us can only bring us closer to our Lord Jesus. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. There is no loss ultimately for Christians. Trials and tribulations, sickness and death are ultimately means of delivering us closer to Jesus Christ. Whether in faith, in sanctification right here on this world, or with him face to face for eternity. And this is how we can grow to become more than conquerors, despite of the evil in this world and sins in our own lives. And Christians, this is who we are in Christ. More than conquerors is our identity in Christ Jesus. There are seasons, certainly there are, when we don't feel like one. But our feelings do not dictate our identity. And you know what else does not dictate your identity? Your life circumstances. Whether you're experiencing turbulent storms or endless droughts, they do not dictate your identity. Whether you have achieved many envy-worthy accomplishments or you feel like you're going nowhere in life, they do not dictate your identity. It does not matter what your reputation is among your family, your friends, and your peers, or how much you possess and you, or you, what you don't have. They do not dictate your identity. You are more than a conqueror. Through him who loved you, your identity is through him who loved you. And that he is never changing. And there's nothing to separate him from you. So, and that brings us to our last point. The power of the Christian is this, is Jesus who loves us. So the key lies here will notice, you know, doesn't the verse say him who loved us, loving past tense? So does that mean Paul is emphasizing love of Jesus in the past? No. What Paul is doing is here is this, he is showing the audience the historic demonstration of Jesus' love for his people. John 15 verse 13 says this, greater love has no one than this than someone who lays down his life for his friends. On that cross, Jesus laid down his life for his friends. Yes, his friends. He called us his friends. Those who depend on Jesus alone for their salvation and follows his commandment. We are his friends. 
and He gave His life to us, not because we are good, not because we did good, but that because His unconditional love. And that love is inseparable by all the means of the creation. And what did He accomplish on the cross that empower us to become more than conquerors? So in GFC, we have often taught on penal substitution atonement, meaning Christ paid for the penalty of our death as a sacrificial lamb to satisfy God's wrath over sin, and therefore fulfilling the justice justice of God to judge all sins, and His mercy to save humanity. All that is true and biblical. But in our mini series,、uh, series on this Easter, we want to examine another element of Jesus' accomplishments on the cross: that He overcame sin and death, as well as Satan and his power in this world. Christ, the Victor, and we are more than conquerors because Christ has first conquered Satan and his power in this world. And his victory is granted to us, along with his righteousness, because we are one with Christ by faith. Jesus Christ is our champion. He fought before us, and he fought behalf of us. And he defeated the ancient enemy of God, and he claimed victory over Satan. And all His power in this world, and that is a victory for all His friends, all His followers. Christ Jesus' victory over Satan and His power is one of the main threads throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. In Genesis chapter three, verse fifteen, God says this to the serpent, the devil. I will put enmity between you and a woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So the redemptive plan of God, from the very beginning, includes this cosmic battle between the offspring of Eve and the offspring and the serpent. The serpent will injure the heel of the offspring of Eve. But the offspring, the offspring, will obtain the final victory by crushing the serpent's head, and that results in Satan's total defeat. In Exodus 15,、uh, we have a demonstration of God's power over the God's over、um, God's sorry. We have a demonstration of God's power over the enemy of God's people. When God delivered Israel from the persistent and deadly pursuit of Pharaoh and his army, so our call to worship this morning was taken from Exodus 15, when Moses and the people of Israel sang、uh, praises to God after they crossed the Red Sea, while Pharaoh and his army and chariots were sank in the depths of the Red Sea. Hear this cry of triumph. From verse thirty-three,、uh, from verse three to six of Exodus fifteen, Yahweh is a man of war. Yahweh is his name. 
Pharaoh's chariots and his hosts, he sent, he cast into the sea. And his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The flood covered them, and they went down into the depths like a little stone, like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. Our God has been called many titles, and one of them is Man of War. If He desires, He can wipe away the mightiest army in the world and bury them in the depths of the ocean. There is no power in this world that we should fear, because God fights for us, and He fights before us. Our God is merciful and compassionate, abounding in steadfast love and stead and faithfulness from one generation to another. And yet, He is also God, mighty in power, and He leads and protects His people by shattering their enemies. So, if you ever feel downcast and beaten down in life, I exhort you to read the whole song from verse one to eighteen. It will surely lift up your spirit and remind you that your God is conquering enemies that you cannot win on your own, but with His overwhelming might and His deep love for you, He will grant you the status as more than conquerors. Psalm two, verse one to two, asks this question: Why do the nation rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed. And God responds in verse four: He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Our God laughs at the world's attempt to dethrone His rulings. Their attempt is nothing but a droplet of water on a scorching fire. And how should the world respond? Psalm two, verse twelve says this: "Kiss the sun, lest him be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled." Blessed. Are all who take refuge in Him. So this is a warning to those who oppose God, but a comfort to those who take refuge in Him. So do you, in your heart, oppose the ruling of God in all the nations and in your life? Then you must be warned that God's wrath is upon you because your sin and your pride. You think you can control your life by your own strength, and you think you can overcome all the obstacles if you just work harder and discover the right hack. But when life comes to you with the violent forces that you can no longer handle on your own, you curse your life and you seek escape through the means of the world. But would you still be so proud to be a master of your own life? And refuse to come to God, then, or would you finally acknowledge your own weaknesses, that you see that you have sinned against God and others, 
and the world is broken because of our collective sin as a human race, then I invite you to come and see the cross where Jesus was hung and see that his blood gushing out from his wounds and that blood will cleanse you from all your sins. Come and see the empty tomb today where Jesus' body was laid, but there was now no more. Come and see his victory over death, our final enemy. Come and see his friends rejoicing on this day with the new life that our Lord purchased for us with his life. Come and see the rulers and authorities now disarmed and shamed in the open. Colossians chapter 2 verse 15 says this, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So Christians, in the face of the rampaging evil and injustice in the world, in the face of changing cultures against Christians and what we believe, in the face of our own stubborn sin, do you see that our Lord has not only conquered them all, but that he has put them to open shame? That a serpent's teeth has been pulled out, his head has been crushed, the devil no longer has any power over any of us, that we are now redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and we're no longer slaves to our former sin. But Christ has broken the shackles and that he has freed us and give us the power to become more than conquerors before our enemies. I know it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Trust me, I do. I'm not speaking this from my own personal experience, but I'm appealing to you from the word of God. So listen to this, these words from Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 to 11. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, for they loved not their lives even unto death. Salvation has come to those who acknowledge and confess their own weakness and the limit of their own humanity. The kingdom of God has come and the people from every nation and tribe and language have come and worshiped the Lord. The authority of God's Messiah, Jesus Christ, has come to rule over our hearts, our family, his church, his people. All of that because on the third day, the immovable heavy stone rolled away and Jesus, with scars in his body, walked out of the tomb. And on that day, the devil, the accuser of our faith, has been thrown down from his lofty place. 
and he could no longer he could no longer tempt the Son of God away from doing the will of the Father during Jesus' life, and he could no longer hold Jesus down in his death. The devil could no longer accuse the believers, but the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, intercedes for us at the Father's side as our High Priest. And the followers of Christ are no longer slaves to sin, but now slaves to righteousness. That we are now more than conquerors by the blood of the Son poured out for us because of His great love. And we have no more fear of death and no more fear of anything in all creation because God's love has been bound to us because His Son. And nothing, nothing can separate us from that. And we, in response, no longer love our life more than God, even unto our death, because we are already loved by God through His Son Jesus. So Nike tells us, just do it, with the help of their product, of course. But I know with the most expensive running shoes, it will not make me a winner at the Toronto Waterfront Marathon this fall. I probably can't even finish half of it. But I can put my trust in the cross. What once was a symbol of death and shame is now transformed by Jesus into a symbol of atonement and victory. The death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb dealt the deadly blow to Satan and his power in the world. Though we can expect persecutions and trials in this world, our identity is sealed and secured by Christ as the ultimate conquerors. Because our power to overcome Satan and his power in the world does not come from us, but from the Son of God, who has claimed victory for us. And he loves you with his life. Let us pray. Father, we thank you so much for what you have accomplished on that cross. Thank you that we are not merely saved from the wrath of God, but that we are adopted as children of God. Thank you that we not only escaped from hell, but that we are given the power to overcome Satan and the evil. And Lord, we are saved to sin no more. So Lord, we ask with all the power of yours, with the aid of the Holy Spirit, help us to live in a life in a manner that's worthy of your calling, that we would sin no more, that we would love one another, even laying down our lives to one another if it was called because you have loved us first and you have given life and victory to us first. So in Jesus' name we pray, amen.